Hello and welcome back to Game of Moans, the podcast where we are rewatching Game of Thrones an episode at a time and roasting it alive, much like you'd roast a captured wildling. Uh, I am Chris Bolton. With me, as always, our very own mountain, Mr. Mark Williams. Hello. And here we go again. We're off onto a new season once more. Uh, it's been a little while. Um, we've had a longer break than usual. Um, apologies for that if you've been eagerly anticipating our return, but we've just kind of worked our schedules out a little bit so that... Uh, we can run this through to the end of the year now in one straight run. Uh, but anyway, enough warbling. We are off with season five, episode one, The Wars to Come. Uh, and oh, yeah, we're going to be in the wars this season. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely so. I This this is the season for me. Um, and, and I remember on my first watch through, it was this season for me where the show really started to take a nosedive. Um, yeah, I mean, I, as I said, this is the first one where I had to wait um, and watch it. Um, live as it were and you know, watch it week by week with everybody else um, and I remember this kind of, I mean I I sort of skipped through it when I was watching the first four anyway because I was um, as I was watching it while doing other things um, and not working and I kind of I was at that point I was just like yeah fine okay I'll, I'll I like it it's, you know, it's it's holding my attention I can do that and then for whatever reason um, it yeah I just I didn't engage with this season at all and it, it really took me a long time to get into this season um, and uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think this is going to be, um, I mean, judging from the start of this episode, anyway, I think this is uh, going to be a bit of a, a bit of a slog again because I mean, the, the, this episode re- as, as a season opener, we've talked about this before. Their their season openers either tend to go a million miles an hour and run out of steam very quickly, or they take forever to build and it just start gathering a bit of pace, and then the episode finishes. Yeah, um, I mean, this one for me was just just slow. Um, <laughs> If, if nothing, this episode just seemed to go nowhere. I don't know. Maybe it's because we ended last season on such a high. You know, the the last season, we, I think it's fair for both of us to say, we thoroughly enjoyed. We said at the time, oh, yeah. it's our favourite season. So this, this season has a lot to live up to. And I don't know. I hope I'm wrong. I hope on this second watch through that maybe I don't have as many problems with it as I did first time out. But we'll see as we go through. Um so, I mean, it's not off to a flyer, though, by any means. No. You know, once, once again, you know, our opening scene is just so lacklustre. Um, I mean, could we not have started with the reveal of the creepy cave rather than having yeah. to have the couple of seconds of the girls running through the woods first and placing us in that scene? And uh, the thing is, I mean, I think that the reason they've done that, I think, is that they, they want to place it. You have the dark-haired girl who's really scared and the blonde one who's quite obviously going to be Cersei. Um as being very dominant and very strong world and all the rest of it but you get that in in the cave in the scene with the witch anyway you don't need it here but i think that's why they've done it is to try and drag it out and try and flesh it a bit you, you it just abs- seems entirely superfluous yeah you absolutely don't need it here at all um and you're right as well like obviously we've got the thing where we're the you know the blonde haired girl is obviously well, you would think, obviously, Cersei. I mean, I've actually written in my notes here, and I, I don't remember this scene from first time out, incidentally. So I've written, I'm assuming this is young Cersei, but we could yeah. do with more signposting. I mean, they they kind of utilise the hair and wardrobe to signify that. Um, but, yeah. you know, it's literally as simple as having the other girl call her name once yeah. at, at the start of the scene. It's that fucking simple, especially as they're running through the woods. She just needs to shout, Cersei, slow down, or something. Yeah. 
or say, seriously, yeah, I'm seriously, scared. wait for me. Yeah. yeah, something like that, just to keep you, know, just to give you a bit of a clue. I mean, I, I didn't remember the scene specifically. I remember there's, I remember that there was a scene where she, um, she meets a witch, and there's a some sort of foretelling um, about her outliving her children, and um, so we we had that, and then there's another one later on as well, which gets completely thrown away at the end. Spoilers, um, but so I mean, I, I knew this was coming, and I think. You kind you kind of need it for Cersei to move her along because all the way through she's had somebody to spar with. She had Robert, she had Tyrion, she's had Tywin. Now as a Robert's dead, Tywin's dead, Tyrion's gone. So we need something new for her. We need a new way, a new way to keep her interesting. And I can see the point of this particular bit. I know the, the way this the way the scene's executed isn't particularly brilliant, but I can see why they would want to do that. It just it's so fucking flat. Very, very flat. Um, I, I, I just don't know why this scene is here. I, I really don't. Like you say, maybe later on in the episode, yeah, you could have worked it in. But I, the only thing I will say, and and I've made a, a comment on it next as well. Like, um, I mean, or incidentally, they do call her by her name right at the end of the scene. Yes. They do, yes, they do they. name her. Um, why they couldn't have done that earlier, I don't know. Um, and, and I've written what a terrible opening. Um, although. It does kind of set up our main through line for the season. You know, yeah. this is going to be a very Cersei centric season for a lot yes. of reasons. Yeah. Um, and and so, you know, this is setting our theme and our our through line up Sorry, straight I away. Now. I know, I know, what, right? What was that? What was that word? You I know, used? I know, right? But it's 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 here, and I I at least I don't want to rag on them too much, and I at least want to give them credit for trying. Like they've. Yeah, they've at least put this scene in rather than glossed over. I just feel like it's the wrong place for it. Um, yeah. But I mean that that's true of a lot of a lot of this type of scene where we've had sort of kind of unne- well, not unnecessary backstory, but a bit of long winded backstory. We've had that a lot a lot of the episodes whereby they've put it in either at the start or they've thrown it in really when it, you know, when the episode's getting a bit fast and the pacing starting to pick up, they throw it in to slow everything down. So I mean it's it's not uncommon for them to do that. No, it's not. And as I say, if if Cersei's going to be kind of the main focus this season which you know this show really has a main focus but i think it's fair to say this is one of the most cersei centric seasons then yeah yeah i can understand why you'd why you'd open with this so i i guess what i'm saying is it's it's functional it serves its function it's just not very good as a season opener um why the hell we didn't open with Tywin's dead body is it's absolutely beyond me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had the same problem with Joffrey as well, those fucking stones. They're they fucking him, creepy, aren't they? They are they make him look like um uh, Christopher Lloyd in Roger Rabbit. Yeah, yeah, because the eyes are kind of permanently they, they kind open. Of, yeah, 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 I can see that. Popping out and they're very bright and vivid and no, they, they're not natural colours. And the first time I, I first time I, I saw that scene came on, I just burst out laughing. Yeah. And yeah, I, was, I get it. That's that's not what you, the reaction you're supposed to have when somebody's lying in state. But I was literally just pissing myself on the sofa. It was that funny. Yeah. Um. But it it's it is a stark visual though. Oh yeah. No pun intended here. But it is a it is a stark visual, and it's one that therefore I think you know had we opened with that, hmm. I think it's unsettling enough and stark enough that if you just cut straight into that, you don't end up laughing. You cut straight in down and go, "What the fuck?" Well, yeah, uh, exactly which is kind of what you want from an opening. Um, so, I, I mean, the scene itself, fine. Um, doesn't do anything other than retread stuff that we talked about last season. Um, yeah, although Jamie doesn't rape by this time, so, yeah. There's, well, there's that's good. That. Yeah, and that's always that's, a bonus. 
that's an improvement. Um, and obviously they have the discussion about Tyrion. Um, but it's, it's fine. I mean, the two of them together, as we say, you know, right side are always good. So nothing to worry about with them. Um, and then we get this scene with Varys and Tyrion. Actually, before also, that, actually, I mean, one thing with the scene where we do get, so we have the um, the young Cersei scene, and then we get her walking up the steps to the Septon. Uh, and that, again, that's, that's, a, that's a really good um, good visual way. You've got, you know, people are lining the steps, you know, and we have all this, you know, we've had all this thing about the Lannisters and how they're, you know, they're, they're revered and they're feared and all the rest of it. But people, you know, people are, have lined the streets to pay their respects. And she's just like, fuck it, you can wait. I don't care, fuck off. And again, from from a character point of view, given how, what given to be honest, the way the next four seasons are going to go with Cersei, I think it's it's a it's a good choice and it's a good a good indicator of where she's going. Where she's like, fuck it, I don't care anymore. Just get out yeah. of my way. And I thought that was really nice. I thought it was a really nice touch. Yeah, yeah, there is that. As I say, there is there is a fair bit of of work for Cersei going into this episode. You you've got to give them that. Um, yeah. So, so we get that we get this scene then with Varys and Tyrion, which gives us precisely nothing that I can see. Um, I I don't understand like other than show us that Tyrion has safely got off the ship, uh, which you could accomplish in thirty seconds. Yeah, uh, you don't need I, a scene where he gets uh, stumbles around a bit, and drinks some wine, and pukes. No, uh, and and it just treads the same ground as the end of last season. So yeah. it's. Complete waste of time. It is, and it's annoying because there's a scene between them later on, which is a lot better. And if you just had that one, you'd have been the episode would have been stronger for it, I think. Yeah, and particularly when you know we've said with these season openers before. Um, well, the, the season uh, closes and the openers tend to be this kind of whistle stop tour of all the characters. Yeah, and you know this one isn't quite that. We spend a lot of time with a few characters, but we don't see everybody. So, yeah. I mean, I prefer, so I'm, I'm not going to complain about it too much, but when you're wasting time on scenes like this, and it's not a short scene either, um, no, you not. could have been showing us what, what I was doing or what Theon yeah. was doing. Or, yes. I, I don't get me wrong, I don't give two fucks what Theon's doing, but there's space there that you could have worked with. Well, yeah, you know I mean, especially if you're not going to use, um, if you're not going to use the scene to do anything or to get anywhere, then... I mean, this this tends to be one of the it's the biggest problem I have with adaptations generally, and it seems to be one that um, these guys are particularly guilty of is that the things they want to leave out they just not no the things they're not interested in they just completely ignore they leave out the things they want to include they go to excruciating levels of detail to make yeah. sure they, they get in every they, they get in every scene every line every jibe every bar and it just sometimes you've got to know where to cut your losses and these guys don't and I think that. The problem with this scene is that we've started to build the episode. The opener was kind of flat. We started, then we had this, you know, this, this scene where we're reminding people, that, okay, well, Tywin's dead, so shit's going to go down. And then all of a sudden we go to his killer and his accomplice. Should be brilliant. But instead, they talk about pushing shit through the holes in the side of a box. Yeah. Yeah, uh, no. yeah no thank you very much. Um, then, you know, to double down on the distaste for shit, tits. It's well, before that, we, it's we been a while. The, it has, but before that, we get the um, the the image of that statue being pulled down like Saddam in uh, in Baghdad. You know, they they hoist it down. It goes it goes sledding down the side of the pyramid without doing any damage to the uh, the stonework on the pyramid, which that's impressive. Um, so we we get that, and then we get the um, the unsullied guy wandering through what is clearly fucking red light district in Amsterdam. Um, now and, again, 
this scene from Statue Toppling to where the end of this scene goes, great opener. Yeah. Why absolutely. there are so many better opening scenes than what we had. Yeah, well, um, I, I watched but, this last night, and when I was thinking about this this, this morning, and so some, you know, some of the talking points, in my head, that was the opening episode, uh, the opening scene, because it would have been that much stronger. And it's only stronger. when I started going, oh, actually, no, we had that shit with Cersei first. Yep, yep. No, it's, it's much, much stronger. Um, and, and then the scene itself, once we get into it, you know, once the Unsullied does sort of go to what we learn is, is a regular whore that he visits. Yes. Um, and th- the whole scene is really well executed. It's an excellent scene. It plays yeah. like a fucking serial killer origin story. Yes, seriously. it does. It, it's, and, and it's, abs- you know, to the point where the whole scene feels really unsettling. Yeah. And I, I'd forgotten about this scene. So I was like, this is fucked. I was, I was getting ready to write down a load of negative shit about it. Cause I was like, literally, <laughs> this is, this is like something from fucking Henry portrait of a serial killer or something. This is really, this is fucking bizarre. Yeah. Uh, and then of course, the scene completely flips the switch on us and becomes exactly that. Um, yeah. And it, it yeah, I, I thought it would really, really well. I think it, well. I think it was a really nice touch as well. I mean, obviously, we've you see him going in and he's, he's clearly walking past these whores and they're, they're sort of standing around with their tits out because obviously that's what you do. Um, and he, so he goes to the one and she says, oh, no, is it the, the usual you want? And again, you're sort of thinking, well, hang on, he hasn't got a dick, so what's going to happen here? Um, and... It's a very nice scene because I mean we've we've always seen these unsullied. We haven't really interacted with them. We've seen them in action, and we've seen Grey Worm and a couple of others on occasion. But we haven't really interacted with any of them. So to actually see this guy, who I mean, no, they were they were abducted as children. They haven't had lives. They've been bred as soldiers and brought up as soldiers. So for him to you know, try to find some comfort, try to find some warmth, try to find some sort of normality, it's a really nice device. And then some dick cuts his throat, which I thought was really nasty. Yeah, yeah, I and mean- it. Yeah, the whole build-up to it is so atmospheric. It's, yeah. it's great. It's great. Um, unfortunately, then, though, we get we get a scene more or less straight after it. We get some dicking around with it. But then Missande starts talking to Grey Worm yeah. um, about the brothel and about yeah. why he'd be at the brothel and stuff like that. Um, now, I get the need for that discussion, and I get that Missande is, is kind of getting at the point that, oh, well, what are they doing in a brothel? Maybe you're not as fucking useless as, as we thought. You know, maybe we can, you know, um, well, I no, get it. I mean, She's trying to be coy. The, the problem but, is there's, there's a bit too much of the, of the, um, the bit of wife about it as well. well yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Why, why are you mates in a brothel? Do you go to brothels? Bloke I've spoken to like twice? No. Why would he be in a brothel? Why would you I, be in a brothel? I don't get I don't get bitter wife from it. What I get is very much like, well, actually, can we? You know, is this something you can do? I'm interested. And what I get is awkward teenage flirting, um, and I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is how direct and inappropriate the conversation is. It's just she's so upfront about it. And mm. and the whole conversation is so heavy handed that all of that nuance is just lost. So I think with some space, if it had been placed later in the episode and if, if the conversation had been sold in more organically rather than her literally just barging into the scene and going, hey, did you know your mate was murdered in a brothel? What's he doing in a brothel anyway? I thought you didn't have dicks. Like <laughs> if we'd have handled that a little bit more subtly. Yeah. Then- I think the scene actually would have been quite sweet and, and really could have worked, could have got away with the two bibses. You know, it could have filled the gap in for us as the audience who were also probably going, what the fuck's he doing in a brothel? 
Uh, well, ah, okay. Uh, He's just in for some motherly cuddling. Okay. I was say, well, we, 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 we saw that, didn't we? I mean, I, I don't get that vibe. You know, I get some, you know, Andy, Andy Cap coming back from the pub pissed at 11 o'clock and his wife standing there with a rolling pin. That was kind of, that was kind of the vibe I got off it's it. It's interesting, yeah, because I didn't get that at all. But maybe that's just because I'm, I'm looking more for this kind of relationship between them. I don't know. Um, but, but the scene's definitely heavy-handed. Yeah. Uh, so, so I can see how that reads the way you're reading it as well. For me, it just read like a complete misfire on what they were going for. I, I feel like the intention was definitely to insinuate that, well, to try and further this sexual tension between them then, which, you know, up until now has kind of been there, but it was, of course, not being able to go anywhere. Yeah, um, I don't, don't get me wrong. I, I don't doubt for a second that was the intention. That's just not the way it played for me. Yeah, uh, who fucking knows? <laughs> Either way, it's a terrible, terrible fucking scene because it's just so clumsy. Um, and not the performer's fault. I'm not no. laying blame at the performers there at all. That's in the fucking writing. There, there's uh, a right, there's a writing issue and there's a directing issue there. Yeah, oh, very much so. Uh, but but I mean, more than anything, I would say in the writing because somebody wrote those clunkers. So well, you know, yeah. somebody somebody wrote Masande storms in and demands to know what went on at the brothel, basically, yeah. rather than Masande coyly inquires why yeah. an unsullied would be at a brothel. So. There's that to it. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, if we want more sexual tension, here comes the Red Lady. Um, who, who's not, who's in, not in red? Who's no, in black this week? In black this week. Um, just, I, I think, because she's trying to show off to John, so wants to match his colour palette, maybe. Well, I yeah, don't know. That makes sense. That makes um, sense. She, I mean, she clearly wants John. Like, she clearly wants the D here. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. No two ways about it. And, and look, she's a character that we've said before has always taken charge of that. And has, and has never been afraid to, to go after what she wants. Um, but she's like, she's all over John here. <laughs> like, but I, it's not it's it's not even subtly. I mean, it's not even as if they're playing the fact that John is still a member of the Night's Watch and they're they're borrowing him. It's like he, he's there, he's training, oh, is it Ollie, the kid's name? Yeah. Um, he's there and he's, he's teaching him how to fight. And, he, and he's doing a really good job of it as well. And the, you know, the kid's getting ready tomorrow. He's like, no, I, no I'm not. I'm not shouting at you to be a dick. I'm, and you know, he sort of puts, puts his hand on, on his shoulder. Do no, you need to do this? And you know, it's it's almost a sort of not quite big brother, not quite father. It's somewhere in between. But it's not. He's he's sort of, he's he's trying to nurture him, and you can just see the kid getting more and more fucked off. And obviously that'll pay off later on in the series as well. But um, oh fucking hell, no, Melisandre, isn't it? I keep getting her and Miss Andy mixed up. It's uh, yeah, Sandra, she, yeah. Yeah, she comes down. And so we have, you know, the bit with um, Alistair Thorne. And obviously, you know, he was, the, we get this um, nice bit of exposition from Sam that they, he's he's up for, for Lord Commander. And there's some other bloke we've never fucking heard of, so he's not going to get it. Um, and so we get that. And then she comes down. And she doesn't go to um, to Thorne. She doesn't go to anybody in charge. She goes straight to John and says, King wants a word. And it's literally like, off you come. Fuck the rest of that. Don't worry, don't worry about what you're doing. Don't worry about your sacred duty, all that shit. Get a lift. Come on, we're going. Yeah. And there's no question. Nobody challenges it at all. Um, and yeah, it's it's quite uh, no, it's, it's it's quite amusing to see. Yeah. Um. It's 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 just a weird little scene, isn't it? Really. Like yeah. she's generally when she's kind of all over people, you get the impression that there's there's something behind it. You know, some and we know that she thinks John has a part to play and what have you. But th- that again, that's not how the scene reads here. It just reads like she wants a piece of john to me yeah um she's she's literally all over him um yeah. can't keep her hands off him um uh, yeah like the, the scene in the lift where he's like are you cold because no, she's yeah. out of her dress and, oh, i don't get it the, the lord's fire burns in me and, and then against any excuse have a feel yeah okay all right then. 
yeah, it's it's blatant. Um, but I mean, for for what it needs to do, the scene works. You know, there is there's definitely there's definite chemistry between the two of them. In as much as John's not supposed to be attracted to her, so he's playing that off, but she's doing yeah. her best, and it, that dynamic works. I thought yeah. I, so. The scene's fine. Um, it just seemed especially coming off the back of the Missandei scene, just almost comically misplaced. Yeah. Um, so, but... It's, it's like they had a season break and I forgot, I forgot how to do character. No way. Yeah. Hang on. No. But yeah, it's, it's like any... I mean, we, I think we said this a couple of years ago. That it's like all, all the goodwill, all the sort of things they pulled back in the last season, they've they forgotten them about. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. forgotten about. I mean, there is some nice stuff. You know, we get the... Um, you mentioned the John training, the... Um, the youngster, um, who's never forgotten already. We say it was Ollie. Yeah, yeah. John Train Ollie. And then, you know, our next scene, we when we cut, we get this juxtaposition then of Lord Aaron um yes. being being sort of trained. And that's Batting. that's nice. You know, that's that's a nice juxtaposition from from Ollie to, to him and seeing the difference yeah. between the two of them and then hammering again the point home that, that Aaron is basically a useless little turd. Um we do that anyway. Yeah, but it, it's good. It's a nice juxtaposition of of, yeah. of sort of and, and framing those two stories together, you know, and then we um, a lot happens quite quickly here in this yeah. kind of catch up bit that we get. You know, we we spend some time with Brienne and Pod, which again is a pointless scene, much like the one with with Varys and Tyrion was pointless, yeah. but I enjoyed it more um, just yeah. because I enjoy the two of them. I, I was going to say, I mean, I, I quite liked um, what Gwendolyn Christie was doing. I mean, it's we've we've not seen her beaten before, like we. No, we've seen her physically beaten. Like we saw when, um, oh fucking hell, what was his name? The, the uh, Renly. When Renly died, she didn't have a chance to grieve or to 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 beat herself up because she was immediately on the run because people thought she killed him. Um, so we've not really seen that from her. And then at, you know, at this point, yes, okay, she didn't know. She 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 beat the hound. She didn't know. She she didn't uh, get killed, but she did everything she could. But she still couldn't do the one thing she was trying to do which was to rescue Arya, because Arya didn't want to be rescued. But she doesn't see... I mean, she's not taking it that. She's taking it as if she failed. And it's a, it's a really nice sort of humanising um, scene, which we, we don't have too many of those with, with Brienne. We had one with her and Jamie, or a couple of her and Jamie, uh, so a year or so ago. Um, but generally, she's very much underutilised. I thought the scene was very good, and I thought Pod was very good as well. And, um, he, he knows what he's supposed to do, but she said, well, I'm not a nice, you can't be a squire, now fuck off. And he's like, I don't care. I know. I I know. I, I swore to to serve you, so I'll serve you. And again, it's a really excuse me. It's a really nice scene between the two of them, even though it goes fucking nowhere. Yeah. Um. It, I mean, the only place it does go, and it, you know, it's a very quick setup and payoff, but a, but a, a brilliantly handled one. And I've said before how much I like these kind of just sort of brush passes that we get yeah. when these stories intersect. Um, and, and we do a brilliant one here. You know, she's, she's beating herself up about how she doesn't even know where Sansa is. And, 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 and Sansa is literally riding past in a carriage. And I love those little moments, you know, just yeah. like, just like we had with John and Bran last season as well. That is where the kind of scope of this show really comes into its own. You know, when you realize that it is this grand swooping story, but actually it's about this handful of characters and yeah. they will intersect at times. And whenever that happens, it's very exciting. And, um, and the thing is as well, I mean, as much as we do rag on the writers um, and, and the showrunners, that wouldn't have been in the book. No, no, that, that's that's something that's come thing. up. That's that's something that's come out of the, cause, that's either come out of their brains on the page or when they've when they've sat down our showrunners with the directing on right, what we're we doing. 
that's some, that's something that's come out of this of this visual process. And I think credit where credit's due. I think that the, the, the scene with uh, where Bran and John almost uh, intersected last, um, or where they almost uh, met up last season, that that was by design from you know, that would have been in the book. That whole that whole setup of of Bran being there and having to get away to you know, to um, to go meet the three of Raven, that would have had to be there. Whereas this, there's no need for this whatsoever. So apart from it's just a nice little payoff it's to remind you that she's there. It's essentially a scene transition, but yeah. it's you know in in this world where you you have them on a road and you have Brienne on the road, it's kind of, well, why not? Why why can't we do this? And and then it becomes, well, why shouldn't we do this? Well, yeah, that's right. And I mean, there's a logic because to it. Because it makes well. sense. I mean, there's, there's an internal logic to it as well, where Pod, no, where she sort of says to Pod, you know, no, nobody knows you're here, nobody knows your name, we're miles from the King's Road, just, no, just go, because no, you're not, it's not, you're not, there's no threat to you here. And then Sansa rides past, and obviously the Lannisters have, 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 have accused her of being involved in the murder of Joffrey. So she has to be. She's on the run. She's hiding as well. So the fact that they're both on this set, you know, this same stretch of road that's not a main road, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. And very rarely does that happen in the show. Uh, yeah, especially where geography and and travel are concerned. So, it's, yeah, I hats off for that. I, I yeah. really like that. Um, so so right then we get um, we're back to Cersei then, aren't we? Um, so and and she just shows. Complete disinterest, basically, in in Loris. Yes. Uh, again, and the Maester, as, as she's just kind of swanning around. You know, they did a similar thing uh, last season with the wedding, where they just followed her for a little bit as she she just swanned around, lushing around the place and yeah. cutting people down. And I, I I just fucking love it when she does that. Um, yeah. That that's that's the character at her best, I think. Yeah. Um, so so that's all good. Um, and but you know, so things are actually starting to look up a little bit here. We've yeah. had this, we've had this interaction with Brienne and, and the non-interaction with Sansa. We've seen some stuff with John. Cersei's Cersei's being Cersei. And then oh fucking great, here come the sparrows. Oh yeah. I, I'm not kidding you. This is aside from something else that's going to be introduced this season, <laughs> this is probably my least favorite storyline in the yeah. entire fucking show. I fucking hate it's it's so yeah. Oh, I just I mean, hate it. So, uh, the only the only good thing that comes out of it is there's a fairly spectacular ending um, to this there is. story arc. But by the time it comes, I was bored shitless. So was I. There's also so much wrong with it for so many reasons, which we'll get into when we get there. Yeah. Um, I'm not looking forward to the whole shame situation. Like there's there's just there's so much wrong with this storyline. Yeah, I fucking hate it. And but I mean, even even the way it's framed, that they they they're immediately framed as being fanatics because um, Tywin's brother, whose name I can't remember, I want to call him Kevin, um, but he's he sort of he apologizes for um, oh, what's his fucking name, Lancel. He apologizes for his appearance and you know the, the, you know, the fact that he found God and or found no, he found the uh, religion and it has its place. But they're all bloody fanatics. And they well, hang on, that's a bit on the nose. And also, they're not played as this not played out by their fanatics throughout no, the season. And let us make that decision as an audience. Yes, yeah. let's let's see that over the next couple of episodes. Not tell us that within ten minutes of them first being introduced. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they're not introduced well. I hate the fucking storyline. You're going to hear me whinge about it every fucking week. Uh, there is there is a lot of reasons why I hate it as well. Okay. There is this isn't one of those things like with Theon where I just go, oh well, I hate him because he's a cunt. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, the, the, the whole there story is a lot. 
there's a lot wrong with this, and well, I mean, we'll pick it apart as we go through the season. Yeah, and like even like the way they've introduced it. I mean, you think if you're going to introduce something that's going to be fairly pivotal to the next one, the two seasons, yeah, then you kind of need to actually introduce it, not just have some. Because by the time we get introduced to the High Sparrow, which uh, is Jonathan Price, isn't it? Yes. By the time we get introduced to him and we get introduced to their religious faction or whatever they are, we've seen uh, Lancel a couple of times and I don't think anybody cares. So we're just like, oh, well, there's another one of those fucking idiots. There's no grandeur, there's no there's no sort of pomp, there's no ceremony, there's nothing that says we're no we're re- we're reclaiming Westeros in the name of one of the seventeen million gods you've got. Because it doesn't happen. And you think, well, if, if they're gonna be religious fanatics, that's what they need to do. They need to come in in a fanatic way and try and impose rather yeah. than rather than subtly integrate. Definitely. You know, and you mentioned Lancel there as well. And incidentally, um there is a moment with Lancel I do love in this scene. Uh, which I'll just touch on now before I go into what I was going to say about him. They, they have an exchange where Lancel's apologising to Cersei. Yeah. And he says, I, I'm sorry I tempted you. Ble- I mean, bless his little heart. <laughs> yeah. He really does believe that, doesn't he? <laughs> He's so clueless, isn't he? He's yeah. just so clueless. Her, her, her response as well is when he says, oh, I, I, I hope you can forgive me. He said, what can you have possibly done to me that makes me need to forgive you? Yeah, like, like you are a non-consequence whatsoever. Yeah. You are, you are a non-entity. You are a non-entity. Go away. Like, <laughs> bless him. Um, but I mean, even the introduction of Lancel here, I kind of, I don't have a problem with it this time out uh, because we've watched the show in relatively close succession. I've seen it once before as well, so I know who Lancel is. I don't know where it's going. But first time out, it had been that long since we'd actually seen Lancel, and his appearance has changed that drastically because yeah. he's now shaved his head. Yes. The first time out, I was like, who the fuck is this and all we've got to go on is his dad apologizing for him yeah which is like well even then that's a minor character so fucking hell that's a big leap of faith like you're yeah that needed to be community all it and again all it took all it would have taken was ah cousin lancel well, that's, that's kind it. of what you've got eventually, but it was like, I mean, it's also she, Cersei did the same thing everybody watching did, but who the fuck is this idiot standing in front of me? Yeah, exactly. I, sh- I should know him, surely. Yeah, we, we, we should have had that information front-loaded, but we don't, so whatever. Uh, it's, it's a relatively minor gripe, I suppose. <laughs> I, I When I watched it first time out, I just remember being confused by it. I remember Sarah explaining it to me, actually, because she twigged on faster than I did, and that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, it took me a minute to twig. And I, th- I think the problem is because he so, looks so drastically different. And now all of a sudden he has a little bit of, you know, he's actually contributing to the story. He's not just there. Yeah. Uh, so he, oh, look, he's going to be important. So it's important yeah. that we know who he is. I just don't think he was handled that well. Yeah. Uh, but we, I feel like this time we did kind of get it. But maybe that's just because, as I say, I've watched the show yeah. in that much closer succession. Uh, and because I've watched through once already, so I know retroactively who he is because he yeah. becomes more important than just the guy Cersei was fucking and abusing a couple of seasons ago. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. Um, oh, it was quite funny, though. I mean, her, her, her level of disregard. And I said right at the top of the show that you know, she doesn't have a sparring partner at the moment. No, she, um, let's say Tyrion's gone, Tywin's gone, Robert's gone. Um, but when he's so saying, no, I, no, he's apologizing for tempting her and for the king and his wine and the boar. And she's like, I'm sure I don't know what you're talking about. And again, it's, yeah. you know she's dismissing him, but actually you think she might actually not know what the fuck he's talking about because he could be a different bloke. It wouldn't surprise me if he's a different fucking actor. 
Yeah, I, I don't think it is. I think no, I don't think it is. No, I think it's just, just the shaved head. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's one of those like you could just see the cogs working and go, is she just being yeah. deliberately uh, obtrusive, or is she actually not know what the fuck he's talking about? Yeah. Whereas actually, you know, we know the intent is that she knows exactly what he's talking yeah. about, and she, the two of them together, planned Robert's demise in the first place. So that's all. That's all fine, but it's not signposted well enough for us to jump on board that train straight away without. I think either having watched the show multiple times, yeah, looking at it in the kind of depth that we're looking at it, you know, week to week, and watching yeah. it in close succession, those, those are reasons why we know that. Yeah, uh, and again, those are the kind of things where in a book you can communicate that quite easily with internal monologue and things. Yeah, but this is a visual medium, so we need that information somehow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, okay, Lancel's introduction botched, but great line, so I'll let him get away with it slightly. Yeah. Um, the next scene I just fucking adore. It might be my favourite scene of the episode. Well, no, it's not because of something that happens much, 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 much later on, right at the end, in fact. But just this scene with Marjorie, and it's such a throwaway thing. Yes. I've said before how much I love Marjorie, but just the way she casually saunters in while her brother is fucking someone and just yeah. has a conversation like it's the most normal thing in the world. And she but pays no. absolutely no mind to it. And she, she starts fucking eyeing him up. Well, yes, I was going to say, not only, not only does she interrupt, you say, no, you're keeping your intended waiting. It's like, she just she goes in, helps herself to, the, to some fruit over a bowl, and sits on the edge of the bed. And, and, she, and she, she's like, literally so, so eyeing him Carry on. Yeah. Oh, I fucking love her so much. Yeah. She's brilliant. Absolutely. But she just absolutely owns every single scene that she's in, doesn't she? Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, she's great. So, again, the scene itself just really bringing us up to speed with where those characters are. It's, it's needed yeah. and it's fairly brief. I was going to say it's, um, fairly, it's fairly important because we, we've not seen um, Loris. Um, we, we, we saw a bit the last in the last season, but we've not really seen um, seen him with uh, with another man since Renly. And so they did, they, they did need to go back to that and just remind us because of what's coming in the next couple of weeks. They did need to go back and remind us that this is a very important part of their story, even yeah. though it doesn't oh, seem at the moment. It's definitely needed, uh, but it's it's handled, you know, ironically, we had all that stuff right back at the start that we didn't need that went on for ages, like with yeah. Barris and Tyrion, um, whereas this is needed, but it's really brief. Um, so how you could get this much vital information over this quickly and this elegantly yeah. and then do something like that is beyond me. But a big, I, I'll be honest, a big part of it here is is Natalie Dormer. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. On the way she just swans in and owns that scene completely. Yeah, I think and we, then, as I say, the subtle looks when she's on the edge of the bed, the subtle looks over at, at Loris's lover as if, like, oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just fucking great. Yeah, and we, we've had, she's appeared in two other scenes as well. She hasn't done a great deal, but she was in the scene on the steps where Cersei um, basically fucks everyone off and goes into the septum. Yeah. Um, and she's in the, the wake, effectively. Um, and she doesn't speak, but we just, again, we see her more or less manipulating Tom and telling him how he needs to stand, who he needs to talk to, all this sort of stuff that Cersei would have been doing to, you know, to, to a young Robert. Um, and we, we just sort of see this, sort of, it's, it's almost as if they're gearing us up to pass the torch from Cersei to her. Um, yeah, it does feel like that sometimes, doesn't it? Like she's, a, she's, she's Cersei's Frankenstein's monster, essentially. Like Cersei's yeah. created her and yes. now she can't stop her. Like, yeah that's how it feels and that 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 feels like what it's being set up for yeah um which yeah again hate this storyline yeah <laughs> so 
yeah but that that's what it feels like and that's kind of what i want to see because even though she is because she's Cersei's monster then um actually as an audience we're kind of rooting for her a little bit i think because as much as we all love Cersei as well we know that ultimately at her core she is a bit rotten well that's i I don't think it's for most people so they don't love Cersei. they they love they love the fact they hate her they love to hate her they love they love the fact that she's actually not anything she's not worth anything as as a character she's a horrible vindictive spiteful manipulative calculating bitch she is Uh, a she is a disney villain is what oh yeah absolutely absolutely um but slightly more ruthless um but yeah i mean so i mean to have what is effectively an anti-cersei even though she you know she she's she's mini cersei she's cersei's cersei's younger hotter clone but she's no because because she's she's positioned in such a way that she is always in opposition with Cersei. You kind of root for her, even though she's just as fucking bad in a lot of in a lot of ways. There's, I mean, there's no... One of the best things about the show, as we've said before, is depending on your point of view when you come to it, there really is no black and white, no. right and wrong. There are, there are shades of grey. But I think for the majority of the audience, actually, you know she's a much lighter shade of gray than Cersei is. And she's like, she's developed this skill set, which Cersei has helped her acquire. And it's like, she's using her power. She chooses to use her powers for good as opposed to evil. Um, And and not all the time, you know, she's still out for her own means, but I think her means more align with the heroic characters of the story than Cersei's do. Yeah. I mean, therefore kind of think of her more as a, as a heroic character than a villain. Well, we, we do, and I mean, if you look back, at, I, mean, I think it's um, the beginning of the last season, whereby she goes out into she goes out in the street and she's giving food to the poor, and Joffrey's there, and I'm terrified, and all the rest of it. Again, it, it on the surface, no, it look. I say she, no, she's benevolent, she's kind, she's gracious, she's out, no, she's she's out. She wants to endear herself to the people. She wants to know the people. She wants them to love her. She doesn't give two fucks in reality. She just wants to be queen. Yeah. But when she's queen, she doesn't want them to hate her. So yeah. she she's she's just as much playing game as anybody else. But it's it's, it's that juxtaposition, juxtaposition opposite Cersei that really does make you root for her in that much more. And you can know you as you can almost see that young Cersei we had earlier on. You can see her doing the same thing and, yes. and sort of evolving into the character. And in the same way, you can see Marjorie evolving into Cersei. Give her twenty years of the bitter disappointment, she'll probably yeah. end it the same way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's probably enough said about Marjorie for now. Um, I'm, I'm part of the Marjorie fan club, so yeah, you know, we, we, we've got a whole season of Marjorie to talk about. Where we really have, yeah. Um, so uh, back to Varys and Tyrion. Now, this is a better scene because yeah. it's stuff that's needed. But Jesus Christ, this is overwritten. This is the most grossly overwritten scene I think we've had to date. Like, why, why communicate in ten words when you can use a thousand? Is what this yeah. this fucking scene feels like because the actual uh, yes we need the information but when you get it off the back of what we've just had where we've communicated a lot of information quite quickly all of a sudden here Varys becomes a fucking poet out of nowhere like, yeah he's just talking up a fucking storm like this just and, and it's all just this this flowery just 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 talking in circles isn't it. Yes, it's, it's talking so, and the thing is, it starts it it starts badly because you get you no know, Tyrion's there looking off a balcony, and he you know he starts by insulting Varys and calling him all the sort of the, the negative nicknames, and then Varys responds by calling him an imp and a half man. And we we get it. There's a burgeoning respect. They kind of like each other. They kind of, they they know what each other's about. 
and you know, there's a bit of respect there. I get that, but that you no, know, that's unnecessary. And then we get this thing about you no know, Tyrion having given up, and you no, know, he's at his lowest ebb because you no, know, no, he's not a lord anymore because he killed the king and he you know, murdered his lover and he's run away and all the rest of it. So he, you know, he's he's downtrodden, he's beaten and broken, and he just wants to drink himself to death. But within five seconds, he has a new fucking cause. Yeah. And th- that's my biggest problem with the scene. There's so many words and so many lines in the scene. But when it comes to it, you get the introduction of going to meet Daenerys and his acceptance within seconds. Well, hang on. Why can't we just have that? Why do we need the last three minutes of you two yeah. talking bullshit? And totally it's just because agree. the characters we know, characters that we know like to talk and are generally very good at talking. So we give them things to say. Um, and there's a line in the very last episode about um, the difference between having a lot to say and having something to say. Um, and that's kind of what this is here. Is that we, we know these two fuckers of a boast. We know they talk a lot. We don't need to see it every time they're on screen. Sometimes you can say more by throwing a quick line in and buggering off like we had in the last scene. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Um, it, it's just, I think it's the worst offender that I've seen yet. This scene is grossly, grossly, grossly overwritten. Um, yeah. Horrible, horrible, horrible. Um, so moving past that, we get peasant problems. Um, yeah, for the first time this season, Danny's getting a lot of peasant problems now, isn't she? Like, this, this well, is happening no, a lot. If you put yourself in that position, um, then you kind of get you kind of inherit that. Um, but we no, we, we do get no, it's we, we get some hark back to the last season whereby you know Jorah advised her not to uh, not to send the art an army back to um wherever the fuck it was, um, but to, to go, so send a, was effectively a diplomatic uh, mission. Um, and that works, that pays off. So again, Joe, even though Jorah's not there, he's, not, he's, he's still having an impact. Um, but then she just completely loses her any ability to leave. As soon as somebody mentions the fact that she conquered somebody, she just goes completely off the deep end and loses, loses all ability to think rationally. And it's just like, hang on, the whole point of view in the last season where you went, you went to Marine... Uh, you liberated them. You, you know, you brought in law and order. Okay, it was a bit fucking cack-handed and a bit violent and all the rest of it. But you brought in what you know, what you saw was just and what was honest. And now all of a sudden, you're you're losing sight of that because somebody has effectively crossed you. Somebody has challenged your authority by killing the unsullied uh, soldier. I can't, remember, I can't remember what his name was. It like pale ghost or something like that. I can't fucking remember. Yeah, they only uh, mentioned it once. Yeah, um, but like we, it's almost like. It's fine to it, no, it's fine to say right. This is how, what we need to do. This is how we rule. I, I, I will be strong. I will show strength, and I will show maturity and leadership, and I'll grow into this role, and that's fine. But as soon as you challenge my authority and tell me that actually my hot-headed fucking bloodlust isn't justified, I'm gonna lose my shit again. Yeah, and that's exactly what she does here, and it's just like any progress we've made in the last season through through Jorah, through Diana Harris, through um, Barris and Salmi, any influence they have over her just goes out the window as soon as she doesn't get what she wants. Yeah, and it, it's made worse as well because she kind of, she has that peasant problem scene and, yeah, stamps her feet and, and kind of imposes her will. But then in the very next scene then, she just changes it. I'm about to snap my fingers, so I'm not going to do it. But I was about to snap my fingers and say she changes her mind just like that because Dario basically tells her to, and she just yeah. goes, "Oh, okay then, fine." But that's not that's not the first time either. She did that in the last season as well. No, I mean it makes no sense and completely undermines her character. If she's if if she is going to be this kind of no what I say goes as she was in the previous scene, then that she, she can't just change your mind on a whim like that, that's I mean, got to be hard to do you know 
Yeah, Otherwise, yeah, you need nothing. This well, but this is something we had it in the last season, whereby um, Jorah did it. Um, Jorah did the exact same thing. He basically got her to, sh- no, to as you do with the toddler, yeah. he got her to shout and stamp her feet and bang her hands against the wall and cry and all the rest of it. And then said, well, okay, fine. I, get, I, I hear that. I get your point of view. But just do the fucking opposite because that's a better thing to do. Yeah. And, uh, and she is, again, the, the problem with her as, as a leader, certainly at this point, is that she doesn't lead. She relies far too much on her her, her naive worldview and her temper. And you know, she because because she has this big army, because she has the dragons, she you know she she's, she is ruling by fear. She you know, it's not it's not obvious yet, and it's not apparent to anybody yet. But that's what she does. She you know she she's a despot in in, in scantily, scantily clad robes. Yes, that's exactly what she is. Um, as well as we've said from from episode one really um yeah but you mentioned the dragons there as well you know that again is is some really nice stuff we get with the dragons like just beautifully shot danny yeah danny going down into the chambers is is beautiful you know we get the close-up of the chain moving yeah. and and then we get just get this moment of calm before all yeah. of a sudden just the the dragon is just there and it's beautifully handled very very well shot um, again, not my favourite thing in the episode, but another good contender. But yeah, that's really yeah, it, beautiful stuff. It was good. I mean, there was, I, I wasn't quite, I wasn't quite sure when she leaves. So I mean, she goes down there, and I can't. I was, I was watching it, but it was one of those. I got to a point in the episode, I was just like, oh, really? I, I, I want to go and like hang myself from something at the moment on that board. Um, but so we, she goes down. I think it's through the conversation she has with Dario when when they're in bed, and she goes down there. And she goes in and starts calling out to them because obviously that's not, that's a good idea. And can we get this, this really nice sort of horror vibe whereby the music just sort of starts to build slowly and it's really nice, it's really atmospheric. It's fucking pitch black apart from her and it kind of the, this, the outline of a couple of pillars. You see the chain; it's beautiful. But then they have the the, the kids have their tantrum. She yeah. turns around and fucks off. And then when she's outside, she goes out through the vault door. Sorry, by my mic. Um, she goes out through the vault door. She and she so turns her back and leans on the wall next to the door as they're closing it. And the look on her face—I can't tell whether she's trying to be terrified and let like, her adrenaline keep her going, or she's exhilarated, or she's a little bit fucking turned on because her face is saying three different things at once. I mean, I got terrified from it, but I don't know. I, I I need to go back and rewatch that because I I didn't notice the other two. So it, yeah, it's just like she doesn't quite whether it's her or whether it's the director. Nobody's quite made up their mind how they wanted to play that. Um, I, I get no, I get she should be terrified, but it's, there's more of some sort of, uh, sort of uh, an exhilaration for me um, that she's sort of portraying, and I, I don't know what it is. But I I, watched, I went back and watched that scene again this morning, and I got the same from it then as well. Mm. Yeah, I need to rewatch that. I mean, exhilaration makes sense as well. You know, she can be scared and exhilarated at the same time. Um, and I guess maybe that can make people horny. Well, to, to be fair, you know, plywood, floor, so, plywood floor makes her horny, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a choice. Maybe. Maybe, maybe it's a choice. Maybe, like we, maybe we're, we're not giving credit where it's due there. Maybe it just doesn't work maybe. for us. But, but a director was there and a performance choice was made that says, okay, um, you're scared and exhilarated, and that gets you wet. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Maybe. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not even exploring that avenue. <laughs> I'll just leave that one there. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So that out of the way, now we're on to what I think is the best stuff of the episode. And actually, we did this a disservice. We didn't mention earlier on the discussion uh, that that John had following his meeting uh, with Melisandre. Oh yeah, yeah. I was just, so, just going to go back to that because again, they had that. I, I, I don't know what I don't know what it is, but we talked about in season three where they, where John and Ebert climbed the wall with the others, and you had that mat behind them, and it just looked really out of place. Yes, and it kind of looked like and where. Well, clearly they built their sound stage and they're standing on the edge of it and they've got this big fucking green screen in front of them. But again, it just didn't look right. The whole the, the whole sort of expansive forest and stuff in front of them just looked fucking off. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Um, the, the mats on this show are they're weird, aren't they? Occasionally they're brilliant, yeah. occasionally they're said, not. More, <laughs> more often than not, more often than not, I'll say they're good. Yeah. Um, sometimes they're passable and sometimes they're downright fucking awful, and that's what this was, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, just probably the same one as before. To be fair probably reused it yeah um so yeah just to, just to pick up something circle back and pick up then he, he has a conversation with with stannis that basically says you know we need we need mance's army you need to convince him um and you have until nightfall to yeah convince and him. i think i think as well I mean, it's, it's a good scene for john because john john has kind of very quickly bent the knee and after everything he's seen everything he's experienced he's still very much this is how i was brought up it's so it's it's lords and kings and all the rest of it and i know i know my place and i will bow and i will no i will i will be respectful and courteous and i won't i won't speak out of turn um but in this he knows full well that stannis ain't gonna get this army because even if mance does bend the knee and so pled no pledge his forces they ain't gonna do it and john 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 understands them he knows and he spent time with them and he whether he you know whether he likes all of them, whether they like him, there is a begrudging respect, certainly with Tormund, which will come up obviously as the show goes on, and they have the two that have more interaction. But there's a begrudging respect because he has taken the time and he understands where they're coming from. Yes, okay, he's still a crow. Yes, he's you know, he's still a brother of Night's Wash, and yes, he's still protecting the war from them coming south as much as anything else. But he 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 can empathise, he can identify with them, and that's something that Stannis and any of the other. Uh, would be kings in this show would have completely not got, um, and then we, we've talked, we talked about. No, Joffrey was a cunt anyway, but we talked about Rob and how something he wasn't exactly. Excuse me, um, he wasn't politically astute. He was just kind of, you know, well, my dad was going to war, so now I'm going to war, um, and he just doesn't really. He, he didn't really grow into that leadership role. And John, even though he's no, he, he never seeks it. Even here, he's saying, "Look, you're not going to lead these people. I can tell you that now." They're more likely to follow me, a bastard with nothing who has earned their respect than they are you just because your brother was king and his kids aren't his kids. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the scene is good for that purpose as well, as you say. It, it tells us a lot about about John as we know him now um, at, yes. this, at this point. And when I say at this point, I mean during that scene. Uh, because, yeah. as you say, during that scene, this is still Jon Snow's bent the knee and is thinking about Winterfell and is still and he's we've already seen him crack and start to question everything that he knows and whether the wildlings are correct and whether the Night's Watch are wrong. And then we kind of got into it last season that actually he understands that all of this is wrong. All it's like all of the politics doesn't matter because the White Walkers are coming. Um, yeah. But he's still he's still not fully taken that plunge. He's still respects the fact that Stannis has what he thinks is a rightful claim to the throne. 
Yeah. And so he, he, as you say, he's he's noble and just, and he's he's our hero. So he decides that he will go off and talk to Mance. Yeah. Um, so and that I, brings I us. I mean, in, in that scene as well, um, Davos doesn't say a great deal, but again, you kind of get that that impression that he's kind of in the same boat. He he's following because he believes in Stannis. He believes in his claim, and 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 he he he, he serves him. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's it's, it's honor, and he's he will do what he is what he has been, but. He, you know, he, because of his background, because of his his past, he can also see the shades of grey. And no, it's he the way so he stands. Then it's, it's almost like there's a there's not quite a disbelieving or a sort of no, disagreeing look on his face, but there's just a sort of slightly more concerned, more worldly look about him. Whereby Stannis is saying, "Ah, oh, well, you know, we bend the knee, and I'll take his armies, and we'll reach and no, we'll retake Winterfell. And I'll put Roose Bolton's head on spike for you, and all this sort of shit." And he's there. Go, you can see him. You can see his brain turning and going. Yeah, that's not the right tack with John or with these people. That's not going to work with any of them. Yeah, and, uh, and, and he and he knows, and I think that's something that I mean, all of the all of the kingly characters we've had, with the possible exception exception of Mance, have this such a naive worldview whereby they believe them. You know, they have this divine right of kings, uh, whereby I'm the king because you no, know, it's blood right. You no, know, it's my blood right. It's my birthright, and the gods have foretold it, and all the rest of it. Nobody actually believes that there are people involved, and people have their own agency. People have their own wills, their own desires, their own wants, and won't necessarily follow blindly just because some moistened bin throws a sword at you from a lake. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it, it, that brings us back around there to say that Mance is the only one that that necessarily doesn't have that kind of almost birthright approach to it. Um, yeah, because that brings us back then to the discussion with yeah. with John and Mance, uh, which is. Which is where we're back to. We just, I just wanted us to circle back around to yeah. that because I feel it's, it's weighty, particularly for John's progression, um, yeah. for us to have had that discussion. So we get the discussion between John and Mans, and the scene is just phenomenal. Um, yeah. It's very well written. It's superbly performed and directed. Yeah, it's, like it's, 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 it's faultless. Exactly, right, at the right level. It's yeah, it's it, the right level. And even what it leads into with, with um, the last scene. Um, again, Mance's delivery um, and just the way he's just like I'm me, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pretend, I'm not gonna lie, I'm not gonna pretend to be something I'm not, and I'm not gonna tell other people to do that either. The reason that I could unite the clans, the reason they follow me, is because I didn't bullshit them and they respect me for it. And if you try and force them into following you, they won't do it. And he, you know, he the outright tells John that he said, if you don't realize why they won't, no, they won't, they won't follow, then you've got no hope. Yeah, I mean, we get right to the core of Mance's character. You know, he's always been a character that kind of wears his heart on his sleeve. There's there's never yeah. been too much mysterious about Mance. There's been a bit of back and forth with John, but he's always been very clear about his intentions and what he wants. But yes. I feel like we really strip him bare here, and and it's it's excellent stuff. I mean, yeah, the line of note you just pulled one out there, but the line of note that I that I wrote down is is the closing line of the scene. I think where he says, "The freedom to make my own mistakes was all I ever wanted." Yeah. And, and in an episode where we've talked about how overwritten things are, just the simplicity of that line is is all you need. And again, that's yeah. that's an entire character summed up in one line, beautifully performed. The freedom to make my own mistakes was all I ever wanted. That just yeah. that's Mance Raider in a nutshell. You could put yeah. that on his tombstone. Yeah. Um. So the only issue I do have with the way they said that is a phenomenal scene I like the next scene a great deal as well in fact the next scene is my favorite scene of the episode which I've talked yeah. about so there's one right later on it is the execution scene um yeah. but playing the execution back to back with John's discussion with 
with Mance is just a little bit off. It doesn't give yeah. that scene time to breathe. No, I it, think it doesn't give John a chance to, to ruminate on it. It doesn't give him a chance no. to, 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 to take it in. No, it's exactly that. And I, and I think what they've done works, okay? It does work. Um, but I feel like it would have worked much better if John had had this conversation with Mance earlier in the episode. And yeah. then gone away for a bit. And then we, rather than try and put it in a block back to back, which makes no sense. I don't know why they've done that. They could have easily played this scene off straight after the one with the Red Lady if they wanted. Or they could yeah. have dropped it in in between the cuts between Cersei and the stuff with Danny. Like there were all sorts of places that they, they could have put it. Um so I don't understand why why they've done it the way they did, but anyway, that's a decision they've made. Um so it it just yeah, there's there's just there's this moment of silence, really, uh, as mm-hmm. as Mance is about to be lit and he's you know, they ask him has he got anything to say and things like that. And and there's a moment of silence from Mance. Yeah. Uh, and it's almost like there's that moment where you know, we are meant to think as an audience, okay, maybe, maybe he did listen to John. Maybe he's thought about it. Maybe, yeah. maybe John got through. But it doesn't quite pay off because it doesn't feel, like you say, like John hasn't had a chance to ruminate on what's been said and neither has Mance because it's been so sudden. And by that, what I mean is actually us as an audience, we haven't. Because it takes us, because this is happening off screen, this progression in both their characters, it has to happen in our heads. So we yeah. have to have that conversation. We have to say, okay, did John make more sense or did Mance make more sense? Whose side am I on here? Which side of this very gray line am yeah. I going to poke my flag in? And so, yeah, it, the intent is clear from the silence with Mance, you know, because he there's a very pointed look as well and it's performed perfectly. I'm not faulting it. The intent is very, very clear. I think the scene is executed well. It's yeah. just in the wrong place, unfortunately. So it yeah. loses and, something. I mean, we had that a lot. Um, I think, I think season three was probably the most guilty of that. But season four did a bit as well. But yeah, it's like this episode has kind of been a bit higgledy piggledy. It's been like, well, if you started with this, it would be a stronger narrative. But then you've had to move this around. Okay, well, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's a moving feast. You you cut your scenes in isolation, then you put up the game. You know, you, you you put your sequence together. So it's not as if they can't say, right, well, we've done it now. We can't fix it. You could move stuff around if you need to, as long as your narrative makes sense, as long as it flow, your your timeline internally makes sense. You can play around with these scene orders. You don't need to try and rush through this like they did like they did here. Um, you could have put this. Basically, there there are three scenes with with John and you've got the the okay four if you count the one where he's training with Ollie, but that's all kind of linked into the one with the first one with uh, Stannis. Then you've got the conversation with Mance. Then you've got the execution. There's no reason why you couldn't have used those ten minutes in, twenty five minutes in, and the end. Yeah, and it would have had the same effect. But every everything that Stannis and John spoke about has time to grow, it has time to fester, it has time to ruminate, and you have time to think about it. And then by the time he gets into see Mance. That's it. No, that's already in your head. Well, hang on. Did Stannis have a point, or is John or is John going right, or how is this going to play out? Because you had time to think about it. Then you have the bit with Mance. Then you give it a good 10, 15, 20 minutes to really breathe. Yes. And then you go into the end. And that way, as an audience, you come out satisfied because there's a definitive three-point structure for that storyline in this episode. Yeah, you, you, know, you took the words. You took the words out of my mouth. That's exactly what I was just going to pick up on um, and say is that, you know, you mentioned kind of everything that's going on in the episode and each episode can be chopped and changed at will. And it's like, especially with Game of Thrones, which is a serialized show, this has got a serialized structure. It's an ongoing narrative. Um, yeah. the, 
there are some episodes that will have internal stories and logic and themes um, and some that just don't at all because they're just those whistle stop tours. Now, in this, the closest thing we've got to a complete narrative in the episode that will carry us through and give us a satisfying conclusion is this story with John and Mance. Yeah, it, it gets set up, it gets executed and it gets finished. It's got a three act structure. The problem is we get act one right back at the start of the episode and then yeah. we get act two and three directly back to back. Yeah. which, you know, if, if we're not going to stay with them for the whole episode, then that doesn't work. It just feels unbalanced um, because, act, you know, Act 3 should be shorter and it should just tie everything up into a nice little package, yeah. whereas actually Acts 2 and 3 are roughly the same length and they're back to back. So, as, as I say, it, it it's not that it doesn't work. They achieve what they need to achieve, I think, but I think it would have been a lot stronger had they utilised it like that and to segregate the episode and go, okay, here is Act 1, here is yeah. the start of Act 2, and now here is the end of Act 3. And there's our nice, tight three-act structure for this episode. And then, you know, we've left our little cliffhanger of sorts, but we've also got a nice, satisfying ending because, you know, everything, to an extent, has resolved. Um, yeah. Now, you know, to say it's resolved, obviously a lot is left up in the air, but the one way or the other the relationship between Mance and John is resolved here um now look yeah we talk about deaths in this show all the time this is a weighty death yes this it is is how you fucking kill an important character with yeah, everyone said, think, watching this is yeah. how you do it but not only that I mean you the, you do it in such a way that you know he was being you know, he was being tortured to death he was being burned at the stake and his people were there being forced to watch presumably an attempt to put the fear of God into them so they'll bend the knee. So there is and a it, thought process behind it yeah. and you know it will change them. And more importantly, yeah. though, all of those people that are watching know exactly how we got here. Yes. Because they were in that fight. They understand that actually, in some cases, mistakes that maybe they've made has helped lead us to this point. Yeah. It's there, not there just... There consequences. Gonna, yeah, it's not just we're going to cut Ned's head off off screen. It's not that. It's everybody who has a vested interest in Mance that we know of at this yeah. point is, is watching him die. And that is going to weigh on them and that will change them. And yeah. actually, we get one of those changes immediately, which cements how Im important this death is and how monumental a moment in the show it yeah. is. Because for all that, and we, and we said this when he was introduced, for all that we don't actually see Mance that much, he is a very important presence yeah. throughout, at this point, the first five seasons of the show. He has a very weighty presence. Um, yeah. And he's a real tangible threat to everybody as well. Yeah. So it is important that that his death feels weighty. And it absolutely does. You know, like we say, everybody watches it. Tommen's watching it. The rest of the Wildlings are watching it. Stannis is watching it. So everybody who has a vested interest is there watching the death. He is about to die a horrific death, and it is—it's pretty horrific. Yeah. Like the way they shoot it, you know, this show doesn't shy away from things, as we know. And like, yeah. this is pretty horrific. Them burning him at the stake—it it really is. Um, but then, like, and I've just written triple underlined, two exclamation points, capital letters. Yes, John, because here is the hero of the show for the first yeah. real time. We've seen John fight and stuff, and he's he's manned up and he's heroed up 
you know, previously. But this is the point now. Stood on the battlements with that arrow, looking down on everybody. This yeah. is this is his moment of okay, I'm done. Fuck yeah. you all. I'm not bending the knee to anyone. Fuck you all. I'm done. Yeah. I'm the hero. It, I've made the hard choice, and my flag is in the fucking sand. Now you follow yeah. me, or you get out of my fucking way. That's and what it all I was going to say. It's, it's very shot. much, yeah. It's, it's very much a flag in the sand moment where it's like, but this is who I am. You, for all all you talk of honor and all you talk of knights and lords and kings and all this shit, you are torturing this man for political gain. And it's wrong. And I, it's wrong. I'm not having it, and I won't be party to it. And when I see a man suffering, and I say, an honest man, you you perspective would determine whether you think he's a good man or not be certainly an honest man um who has done who's done nothing that others haven't done and it's your your reasons for killing him are because he won't do as he's told and that's just not right and so he very much as he said he plants his flag in the sand and says look do what you fucking like to me this is who i am this is what no this is me standing up for what i believe in and who i believe i am and who i believe i should be and who i believe we all should be we should know we should be better we shouldn't be doing shit like this and it's important because not only even not only are we, we seeing him do it, but again everyone in that arena is seeing him do that so Tormund is seeing him doing it stannis is seeing him doing it davos is seeing him do it so these things will, will come back later on and then you know, in with the, in the case of Stannis they may try you know you may make it try to come back and haunt him but certainly with Davos and with Tormund it cements who they see John as being yes. and actually he's not their enemy he is just yes. no he is a he's a he's a, a normal decent everyman bloke who's not standing for the bullshit anymore and it's so important because it's John will have a couple more moments in um, in the next season and a half before things really kick off um, but this is probably the first and possibly the most important one because it has the biggest in terms, you know, the biggest in terms of impact on the overall the overall story. If he hadn't done this, then potentially things would have gone another way with Stannis. Yeah. So you know, this is this is a very big um, a very big fork and, in the road. And not just things would have gone another way with Stannis. As you say, his his relationship because this death is weighty and because John has has interacted because the death has weighed on him. This has now fundamentally changed his relationship with Tormund, for instance. Yeah. And and all of those characters that have seen it, for better or worse, now feel differently about Jon Snow. And that's what yeah. a death should do. It should move people. Not always for the better, sometimes for the worst. Sometimes it will reduce previously strong characters to, to gibbering wrecks, if, the, if that's how we're going to go with it you know it, it it would all depend on the relationship that they have with those characters but it is fundamentally yeah. important that a death changes people because in life this happens and it does change you you are not the same and so if you want to tell a story and you want people to connect with that story then we need to be able to connect with that emotional through line and i honestly feel this is the first time that they have really absolutely nailed it they've got closer over the past few seasons there have been some yeah. deaths that have worked um egrets was was particularly good as we said yes um but even that like that kind of now feels like the kind of foreshadowing to this like that's the first step on john's journey yeah and now this is him going yeah no absolutely i'm with these guys this is this is who I am, like. And, and the thing is that we had um, very early on where um, where Ned was killed and then where Rob was killed. He was he was rash. He was impulsive. He was impetuous, and he did he didn't respond in a way that a hero should. And again, it's it's good because he's got he's on this arc. He's on this journey as well. He's growing into this role, um, and so 
we we saw a lot of that sort of you know that petulant gibberish where you know, he was running off to join you know, to join Robert War and he was going to you know, if they hanged him they hanged him and all that sort of shit and then you know, they brought him back with a song, all that stuff. It kind of it makes a bit more sense now because we can see him growing and we see you know we see how he coped with Egret's death, how he you know, how he how he's coming to cope with the deaths of people that matter to him, and it's not just piss and vinegar. You know, all of a sudden, no. it's actually I. With with Ned, yes, Ned was an honourable man, and he was my father, and he treated me well, and all that stuff. But it's it's out of duty. It's out of no. It's out. No, it's not out of love necessarily. It's out of duty that I'm go, I'm going to Rob's side because Rob's my brother. It's not because he believes in the cause necessarily. It's because he's his brother. Whereas all of a sudden, you know, the the only woman he's ever loved is killed in front of him, and that crushes him. And then he you no, know, he starts picking himself back up, and then, and he's expected to be a party to what is effectively a really fucking grisly murder. And that weighs on him, and so all of a sudden he's thinking, right, I'm not what the, no, I'm not what this shot, what they want me to be in this. I don't, I'm feeling things, and I, I can't, I can't express that if I just stand back and do nothing. And so the so the, the death, no, Egret's death, you know, he 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 goes out no, out through the uh, through gate, and he goes and seeks out Mans, and then he better you know, he, he burns Egret, and then he you no know, he he um he he executes Mans here to to. to uh, to spare his suffering, you know these are choices as opposed to reactions, and I think this yes. is a very it's a very important differentiation to make. Is that you no? Know, he is he is choosing this because it's right, not because it's a no. It's a knee jerk gut reaction whereby last well, one I have to do that without thinking about it. He's rational all of a sudden, and that's what makes it more important and, and more weighty uh, for me. It's yeah, and and it's that as you say, it's it's weighty because we've seen him grow throughout the last five seasons. And you understand now that even some of the bullshit, like it takes all of that to get you here. And mm. so this moment feels like just it's not the end of the journey because John will go on to to be even more heroic in some cases and go and go further. But this is like this is the culmination of the first half of his journey, I think, if you like. Yes. This is him moving, moving from sort of the, the kind of young, idealistic Jon Snow to actually know I'm a leader of men and I yeah. understand now, you know, I and, and if Mance is going to go, then somebody needs to lead everybody against the White Walkers and Mance isn't yeah. here, so it's going to be me. And and even things like Egret's death, we talked about, you know, obviously that weighed on him. There's an immediate emotional impact there, but that obviously then feeds into his, you know, it feeds into the conversation he had with Mance earlier and then it feeds yeah. into his discussion to ultimately end Mance's suffering here because... Egret wouldn't want that. And there are many times where Egret said to him, you know, about when we talked about how he's done with this bullshit and he's done with the world, you know, just like her words, you know, remember back at the cave, Jon Snow. Why can't we yeah. be back at the cave? Why can't it be simple? And actually it can be simple. You just have to choose to reject all the political bullshit and concentrate yeah. on the fact that there's an army of the undead rising and we need to beat them. And if we beat them, yeah, maybe we can have a talk about who owns what. But yeah. right now, let's all stop squabbling like children. And yeah. like certainly let's not torture people for funsies because <laughs> that's not cool. Okay. Um and it's it's also kind of like you said, there's there's that interesting kind of dichotomy that exists, I think, with all with all kind of heroes. And I think this is something for me that goes wider than Game of Thrones, but I think all true heroes have to be chaotic neutral. I yeah. don't I, I don't think they can be anything else because you know, when when you look at heroes that resonate in in pop culture, okay, um, 
you look at somebody like like for instance uh, I, i'll just pluck it out because i'm wearing a marvel t-shirt so it occurs to me somebody like captain america then who who initially that's if the you one look, i was going to say right so so if you look at his trajectory in in the marvel cinematic universe as, as opposed to comics let's just take something nice and simple and, and shorter like the marvel cinematic universe and you look at something like that and initially like yes he is captain america and, and he's fighting on the side of the allies in the war and it's all for for country and it's all jingoistic and there's something very hollow about that because he doesn't yeah. actually understand why he's doing what he's doing other than Germans are bad, okay? Uh, and, well, and yeah, that's... and it's it's kind of it's kind of like he he feels he has a duty, but he doesn't necessarily care what that is. He just you no, know, he he wants to do something to be involved. Um, and what and he, it's only when he actually goes overseas and he and 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 uh, the um uh, fucking what were they called that 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 platoon um they got they got captured. It's only then he realizes actually it's not just prancing around. I, I've always said I wanted to fight. I don't want to prance around in boots and sell fucking war bonds. And at that point, he, he, he again, he, he grows. He goes, right, okay, well, I've got to make a stand. And, mm-hmm. and that, no, that, again, that's his line in the sand. He says, right, okay, it's all well and good saying there's a war effort and all the rest of it, but prancing around in fucking red boots isn't really doing anything to help. And no. you, kind of, you, you do kind of need that point. You, and at that point, he, you know, he starts thinking for himself. And you know, I mean, by the time you get to Civil War, for example, um, there is a, you know, there's very much thought process to everything. And it's, you know, there's, there's logic, there's reasoning. And it may not be that it may not be a popular decision, but he's willing to argue his corner, not just blindly follow orders. Because yes. it starts when he when he does break ranks at that camp, which I think I can't remember if they're in Austria or Italy or wherever they are, but no, when they're in Europe and he goes on on that rescue mission, um, that no, that's when that character really starts becoming a character in its own right, not just a a, a GI Joe do as you told sort of thing. Yes, yeah, and it's exactly that. So it is that chaotic neutral element of actually, I'm not going to do what. What the what the president tells me is right, or in this case, I'm not going to do what what the king tells me is right. I'm not going to do anything out of some sense of honor because state says it's right. I'm just yeah. going to do what my heart tells me is the right thing to do. Yeah. Now that might involve murder, but that Maybe. is the right thing to do. Is it technically murder if the guy was being burned to death anyway? Well, no, I'm not talking about murder with man. So yeah. I'm just saying I, I'm I'm talking more generally about yeah. about my point. But yeah, in, in this case. It's a case of well, you know, Mance is being burned to death by by decree of Stannis. It's, it's so kind, it's kind of euthanasia at this point, isn't it? Yeah, but John has no right to do that and knows no. it's going to get him in trouble. But absolutely, well, it, the, it's right the right thing, thing to do. To do is to pull him out of his misery. And you know, when when we're talking about Captain America, they're like, yeah, when he stops just actually serving his country and blindly following orders and starts questioning things, as we get into the later movies, that's when and and look, the the greatest fucking achievement the Marvel Cinematic Universe ever accomplished is make me give a fuck about Steve Rogers. Okay. <laughs> and that's, and that's how they've done it because he's not just this fucking jingoistic red, white and blue superhero. He's not a poor man, Superman. You can fight me on that one. Internet. Um, <laughs> right. He's got, he's got something by the time we get to even, yeah, the midpoint by the time we get to civil war, really, He's got something personal to fight for and he's making his own decisions and actually he'll fly in the face of a lot of government decisions because it's wrong. And that's fundamentally what makes a hero is having the courage to do the right thing, whatever the cost. It's not about the personal cost to the hero. It's about just the right thing to do. And if that costs me my life, my sanity, my whatever, that is the right thing to do. And it's a hard choice to make, but I'm going to make it because... I'm the hero. 
And that's mm. where John gets to in this episode. Yeah. Where I'm not following orders anymore. I'm not going to do what the king tells me. And I don't care if they put me on the stake and burn me, which is a distinct possibility. Yeah. This is just wrong and I can stop it. So I will. Yeah. And that's I'll, like it's one of my favorite moments of the show so far, just because I love that kind of shit. Like, and, and it's so it's so beautifully framed as well. As I say, you know, he stood up on the battlements, looking down at everybody, and he's yeah, got just with the smoke rising and smoke rising, and he just very slowly lowers that bow as well, and he is pretty much just standing there, just saying like, right, if you got a problem, yeah, here I am. Have it. Come on, because this yeah. stops tonight, you know. Uh, so lackluster opening, lackluster episode, but what a fucking ending. Like, well, yeah, they uh, really stuck the landing in this episode. Yeah, but the only problem with that is they're already two inches up from the, uh, the rest of the episodes. They're far to far to land. Well, yeah, true. <laughs> but no, I, I agree. I think that the episode improved as it went along. I thought it started in the wrong place. I thought this, this, the opening scene was so flat and so slow that it really did, um, it really did um, struggle and really suffer for it. Um, and yeah, it picked up as it went along. And I think that. A couple of missteps in terms of pacing and positioning of scenes aside, I think it was it was relatively positive. Um, apart from Danny's fucking inability to lead again, um, but that's something that's going to come up time and time again. Uh, just looking at my screen as well, um, Tywin's brother is called Kevin. I was right, Kevin. Kevin, sorry, K E V A N. It's the the wanky way of spelling Kevin. Well, it's the fucking bollocks high fantasy way of spelling Kevin, isn't it? Yeah. Sorry if your name is Kevin out there. Um, <laughs> if your name is Kevin, then yeah, own it. Not... Just own it. Just yeah, own it. it. You, I'm I've not never the first Kevin. person. Yeah, I'm not the first person to point this out to you, surely. So own it, Kevin. <laughs> be the best Kevin you can be. Yeah, better than this kind of the show anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, it, in summation, after, before we go down a rabbit hole of weird names. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm saying Kevin is a weird name, and now I really just do move feel on, like, just move on. Just I move really on, feel like on, there's someone on. out there called Kevin now that I've offended. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's just park that one there and move the fuck on. Um, in in summation. Yeah, not a promising start to the season, if I'm honest. Um, no, I, say, I love I love the ending and that, but that is because it's more John stuff, and we all fucking know by now if you've listened to the show before. Like this is anything with Jon Snow is my favorite stuff, okay? Because this, as I've just sort of talked excitedly about for the last five minutes, Jon is is the hero of this story, and whenever. Whenever I feel that we focus on him, I feel like we have real forward momentum and he gets growth and he's somebody that we can get behind. So I enjoyed the end of the episode, but the rest of it, fuck me, I was bored, like really seriously bored and yeah. to a point where I've not been this bored since, what was it, mid-season three, I started complaining about how difficult things were, or was it yeah. even end of season two? No, uh, it, was, season three. it was that level boring. Yeah, I mean, I I was kind of the same, and like looking at some of the critical responses to it, it's it seems to be much the same. People seem to have said it's all right, it's not brilliant, it's a bit slow, but it picks up. Um, one critic uh, from the BBC praised um, the show, the episode's ostensible lead, Peter Dinklage. He's in two fucking scenes, um, but it's, it's, it's by and large, Peter Dinklage's beard does a better fucking show of selling this fucking episode than Peter Dinklage. The first thing well, you notice yeah, is yeah. fucking look at that beard. He's well, just yeah. he's a fucking beard wearing Peter Dinklage for most of this episode, not the other way around. Yeah. Like 
that, that's it. And I mean, but I mean, the, the general consensus has been it's it's a slow start. It's it, there's there's quite a bit in there to to be positive about in terms of looking forward. But generally, it's a it's a mediocre start. So I think we well, we're kind of on the same same. I was going to say yeah, that that diglidge aside, that that pretty much sums it up. It is a very mediocre start, but it ends with promise. Yes. Um, and and to be fair, that promise, at least, you know, from John's storyline, for a for a good chunk now, it's it's gonna be fulfilled. Like that's gonna they're gonna continue to build on that with John. They'll completely yeah. fuck it. Completely, uh, oh, completely, yeah. completely fuck it up by the time we get to season eight. To, to an unforgivable Let's standard. be fair, they fuck they fuck it by sending it off with season six. They do, but like by the time we get to season eight, they really like they really fuck him in the end game. Like totally, totally. Absolutely. That was well. Again, we're jumping forward. We get to season eight when we get to season eight. But for the next, for the next season and a bit at least, John's story feels like it's going somewhere, and that that's enough yeah. to keep going, I guess, because it has to be. Because oh god, listeners, like the fucking sparrows. Ugh. Yeah. Oh my god, strap yourselves in and get ready for this one with us, and and just plenty of caffeine pills or whatever you're gonna need because. <laughs> This shit's gonna get rough, and boring. Yeah. Well, the show's gonna get boring. We're not. We're gonna. Be uh, oh no, we've got we've got more to whinge about. So. <laughs> yeah, we're we're gonna be hilarious and entertaining. So please don't leave. Um, but yeah, I guarantee um, at least one of those things. I can't guarantee two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at any given point, we could be one or the other. Yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, I'm I'm trying. I'm trying to keep the listeners. We haven't got many. Um, but yeah, I mean, as as always, I mean, no, these these are our opinions, and we tend no, lots of people on the internet tend to disagree with us. Um, funnily enough, so if you know if if you do think we've got it wrong, if you do want to talk about um, anything we've said, please get in touch um, on Twitter at ddpodcastnet. Uh, you can go to our website ddpodcast.net, uh, where you can pick up our previous episodes of this show and our other shows as well. Um, on Facebook with the Double M Podcast Network. Um, wherever you get your podcast from, be it iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. Um, like, subscribe, review, etc. Uh, sorry, I said etc. about fifteen million times now. Um, but yeah, get in touch, and we'll we'll get back to you and have that conversation with you. Uh, but until next time, game over.